the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. I'm Rob Black, talking all things financial, money, investing, and more. Thanks for listening to the show. Thanks for supporting the show. Anything that you want to talk about, we can talk about. Money, investing, and more. A couple things. Um, Warren Buffett sold off his whole entire ExxonMobil stake in the last 90 days. Should you do that? First, you should pay attention to what he does. And second, ask why. Um, a lot of people think this oil issue is going to last a while. Um, I mostly agree with that. So, um, you're going to see some companies go under and some companies get acquired, and that's when you're going to kind of tell that the true bottom's been put in. SP 500's down 2, the Dow's down 61, the NASDAQ's up 12. We opened lower, but that's on the weakness of oil down 4%, almost 5% to $50.33 a barrel. Gold sits at 12.09, and now it's the 10-year treasury sits at 2.08, 2.08. Those are the numbers that I find most compelling as far as looking at numbers um, for you. You know, I can go into copper and silver and natural gas, but I won't because I think, honestly, that would be a little bit overkill on you. McDonald's bringing back chicken tenders and a boost to the chicken industry. The items are called chicken selects. They've been out of the uh, restaurant since 2013. Basically, there's an oversupply of chicken. It underscores how much clout McDonald's has with its suppliers because um, there's an oversupply of chickens out there. So this should help prop up chicken breast prices through the summer. Bad news for chickens, good news for cows. Other stories out there of note, the well, we got the oil falling sharply. That was tied towards an increase in crude stocks in the United States. We had a build in crude inventories. It's game based on supply and demand. Sometimes it's based on emotion, but right now it's based on supply and demand. So uh, we see that going. Other stories of note, Walmart's going to give half a million employees pay raises. Um, the move ensures hourly associates of at least a buck seventy-five above today's federal minimum wage of nine bucks an hour. So you're talking about ten seventy-five an hour, um, at least. Some states already have minimum wages above nine dollars, including California, Connecticut, District of Columbia, at or above nine dollars. Massachusetts, Oregon, Washington, Vermont, Vermont, and Rhode Island. I remember when I was a kid, minimum wage was like four, and then it got bumped up to four and a quarter, four fifty. So it's often said that waiting is the worst part of anything, right? Wait for the man to put a ring on your finger. Wait for love to hit fruition. Wait for the Federal Reserve to raise interest rates. Ooh, not as sexy as the romance. (laughs) Um, 
but we were looking forward to those minutes given by the Federal Reserve yesterday. And lackluster response yesterday said that it told us that the market is in wait-and-see mode, partly because it's feeling out whether the breakout to new highs has some legs under it, and partly because it's transfixed by the back-and-forth headlines detailing the Greek ECB discussions, and we're waiting for that. Earlier reports indicated Greece did, in fact, ask for a six-month extension of its loan agreement. Um, that pop went poof in the markets. Subsequent report indicated that Germany has rejected Greece's extension request. So we wait. We wait. Some other news servicing um, as a distraction today. Applications for U.S. unemployment aid plummeted to 283,000. That's a, a sharp fall, sign that a recent string of job strong gains may continue. Weekly applications down 21,000 to 283,000. Applications are a proxy for layoffs. They have been near or below 300,000 since September, a very low reading by historical standards. I used to say any number under 400,000 is good. Um, so, gosh, what do you think I think under 300,000? Strong job gains are showing a little bit of lift to paychecks. Average hourly pay rose one half a percent in January, the most in six years. A lot of people think that was because of some new minimum wage laws that went into effect. Economists have cautioned it's reading too much into one month's figures. Sometimes it gets a little lumpy, to be quite honest with you. So, let's see. I don't think I have anything else all that shocking. Walmart's a bit of a drag today on the markets because they reported fourth quarter results. They issued first quarter in 2016 earnings per share guidance. It's below analyst expectations. So we have to continue to watch that. Pay attention, my friend, to your achy head. Ever since the tech industry began its recovery from the dot-com bust, people are wanting to say, hey, we're in a new bubble. You know, at one point in time, it was Yahoo, it was Excite, it was... Uh, Pets.com and Webvan and just crazy, always moving up, always moving up. And then 2000 hit and that bubble burst. And now you look around and look at Google and Facebook and Twitter and Uber and Pinterest and Snapchat. And some of it we don't need. Some of it's solving real problems, but some of it's not. And that's what we learned last time. You know, having a web van come to your door to deliver groceries. Groceries are a very low-margin business. We want value with what we buy. Um, so if they're going to mark up the price, you suddenly are like, eh. But later on, maybe, you know, it'll come back. Booms have always been followed by, by a bust. And we're definitely in a boom right now. Uh, it's not slow and steady anymore. It's getting more rampant as far as funding goes. Silicon Valley, to its credit, has always been a hotbed of optimism in the Valley. The future is always bright. Opportunity is always everywhere. There's a lot of innovation going on. Uh, failures are a part of innovation, so we kind of get used to that. Um, making you know, successes all the time is impossible. Um, you know, Apple's now starting to talk about getting into cars, or people are starting to talk about Apple getting into, like, a Porsche. That sounds to me a little bit like they could do it, no doubt. But, you know, Porsche sold 165,000 cars in 2013. That brought in $14.3 billion of revenue, about $2 billion of profit. 
Apple already generates sixty billion dollars of profit. You know, it's incredibly profitable product, the iPhone. So if Apple grew their car business in the size of Porsches overnight, it would be a relatively puny, you know, five percent of their of their profits. Um with that said, like, be cautious at this point in time. Um, I remember what happened in the late 1990s, and once it happened, it wasn't long before the boom turned to bust. Maybe the current cycle has another year or two left, and it feels good. Um, the smartest minds in the Silicon Valley appear to have stopped thinking critically. Instead, after being surrounded by 15 years of unbridled, unpredicted, unpredicated success in the face of highly vocal skeptics, They've gotten caught up in their own natural and admirable optimism. So I'm looking at that iCar as a bit of a problem. I'm not saying, again, the replacement cycle on a tablet is a lot longer than on a phone. On a car, it's a lot, lot, lot longer. I'm Rob Black, talking all things financial, money, investing, and more. excited to have a new guest come on to the show. Today it's Jack Moore from thestreet.com. I was at the gym this week. Sure enough, I look up and I see a guy named Jack Moore. And I was like, hey, he's going to be on the show. Jack, tell us a little bit about your background at thestreet.com and, and who you are. Hey, uh, thanks for having me on. I, uh, yeah, I've been here for about a year. I came from Barclays and uh, I, I was working on Mad Money with Jim for a while, but recently I changed and now I'm managing uh, his charitable trust along. Uh, so it's Jim and I running that. So, uh, so yeah, I just started about a week ago, but it's, uh, it's fun. What does he like to work with? He seems, he comes across as animated to say the least on television. He's, he's great. I mean, he's actually really easy to work with. He, uh, you know, I think he, he's, he's really excited about pretty much everything. So it's a pretty infectious passion. So, uh, so he, and he's, you know, I can't, I can't live on the two, three hour a night, um, sleep that that he he does and he uh, he understands that somehow so <laughs> so he uh, I can't get up at 3 a.m. like he does but um, but he doesn't mind. With that said, you're here to discuss a couple topics, so let's get right into them. Walmart they reported earnings this morning, a little bit of a mixed bag. What do you have on it? A couple interesting things. They they did well for the, the actual quarter. It was the fourth quarter. For them, but then they issued guidance for this coming year, and it was very disappointing. Fell, um, fell you know, 10 percent below uh, street estimates. But I think what the um, in, in the two things. It's first they announced that they're going to increase their wages. They're going to pay by next year um, instead of minimum wage, minimum wage, uh, and. They also, and so that's going to cost them a billion dollars. And they also announced that because of their international exposure, their currency and currency fluctuations is costing them ten billion dollars this year. So, I mean, those are a couple of things that I don't, I think people didn't realize, and uh, and that's why I think the shares are selling off today. With that said, has Walmart lost their way? 
Um, and is it a bad sign? Because I've always said, like, because Walmart doesn't really pay terribly well, that's why it used to be such a good investment. Are they starting to, I don't, I don't know, maybe uh, succumb to the public demand, the media's demands? It's a good point because they are, and and they have to. I think they got away with it for so long in the kind of brick-and-mortar age of retail. They were so dominant. They were the lowest price, and, and, and really no one could say anything. I mean, they, they you know this. Like, they never cared about what anyone else thought, and they would always just say, okay, we're going to pay minimum wage. We're going to bully our employees. They would lay off employees just uh, with a snap of the fingers. But now with Amazon uh, in there, so many other retailers uh, cutting their costs, I mean, they're not the, the, the go-to. They're not necessarily necessarily the best prices anymore. And they don't command that type of uh, pricing power and the type of power over the consumers that they used to. So they have to bow down to some of these media claims because that is affecting their business. People are like, okay, well, if, if we don't really respect Walmart as a company, we can easily go to Amazon. That wasn't the case in the past. So I think that the, it, there has been kind of a seismic shift in, in their control over the retail environment. And we're seeing that in, in these decisions that they're making. It's a very unprecedented move from them. And ultimately, it's a thumbs-up move because it makes me feel a little bit better about going into a Walmart. So it is winning that social acceptance, per se. Sure, exactly. And I think the one thing to note that is separate is that when you see like $10 billion of uh, foreign exchange exposure, and, and, and that's going to uh, cut right off the top line, you, that's why you know I've, uh, Jim and I have, have been saying this for a while. You've got to be really careful with any type of company that you own that, that is exposed internationally because there's a rolling thunder of bad news. Let's move on to another topic, the Apple car. Good idea, bad idea? Uh, I'm kind of mixed on it. I think it's an interesting one. It's always interesting to hear that Apple's developing um, a new product or, or looking into a new product that has such a uh, high selling point, especially. I think that I think I heard you right before uh, we, we you went into commercial break talking about the replacement cycle. That is a negative, obviously, if they're going to build a connected car. But if they, yeah, I mean, I think the thing is, is that they, for them to grow, they need to get outside of just the devices and the tablets and whatnot, and um, this is like for a five to ten year trajectory. And, and, and the connected car, I mean, the, they have the engineers and programmers better than anyone in the relationships to, uh, to, to create something pretty remarkable. Um, I don't know if that, I mean, that, that's also a huge decision. So I think maybe they should focus on the watch and focus on other type of products or maybe, maybe just inserts into the car rather than an actual car because it's, it's, it's really a huge undertaking and it, and it would kind of uh, mix up their, their earnings and their, uh, in kind of looking at their results because that's a, that's a completely different type of product than anything else they're selling. Yeah, I don't quite get it. I'm not smart as some of the people at Apple, so I don't have to get it. And again, maybe it's you sell it at break even, but you buy more watches and you buy more phones and you buy tablets that go inside the car. Maybe they've got a trick up their sleeve that I'm not thinking about. And uh, you know, I can appreciate that. And it'll be fun to talk about for the next five years, if nothing else. Yeah, well, everyone loves uh, uh, guessing what they're, what's going to come out next, and, and no one really seems, including myself, <laughs> seems to be able to uh, to pin them down because they always come out with a, something out of their sleeves that's surprising new and that uh, it totally surprises the market. And that's what I love about them. We own, we own it in our portfolio. And it's not the first time that Apple would be going after something that we didn't think needed a revolution. Um, when the iPad was introduced, people said it'll not, no one will ever buy that. It doesn't have a keyboard. When the mm-hmm. iPod came out, it was replacing big, bulky MP3 players, and you know that instantly won people over. And the phone, same thing. People didn't think we needed it, but we did. So 
Uh, I'll give them the benefit of the doubt and sit back and watch the next couple of years. Let's yeah, talk a little, another topic that I saw come across from you. Mattel and Hasbro, um, toy companies. Now, I, mm-hmm. I have to imagine toy companies automatically suffering because kids are playing mom and dad's iPhones. But what else do we need to know about Mattel and Hasbro? It's a, it's a tale of two cities or two to- toy stories. And um, I'd like to compare it to, to Hasbro's, one of Hasbro's products, uh, Monopoly. It's, Hasbro basically has the best properties right now. They have, um, you know, uh, they're on park and boardwalk. And then uh, and Mattel is basically has some, you know, shamble properties on, uh, on Baltic or Meridian. And, and I say that because Mattel's products are like American Girl, Barbie, um, yeah, Matchbox, Hot Wheels, and and that's kind of I mean that that that's popular in the 80s and 90s, but but that's really fading in relevance. But Hasbro, what they've latched onto is like all the figurines, and like uh, they have a con- uh, relationship with Disney, so that every time a new movie comes out, like Guardians of the Galaxy, or we're looking at Jurassic Park, you know, uh, uh, Star Wars, that they get the um, first look, they get to manufacture the figurines that are associated with that. And those are still huge sellers. So that's actually, like Star Wars alone is uh, sold like $500 million worth of toys when the last movie was came out. So Hasbro ha- is, is into all these branded products. And I think that's the smartest play if you're going to be in toys because the, just the traditional products like a Barbie and American Girl, I mean, those things aren't selling anymore. And is the Barbie not selling anymore because the millennials and the Generation Xers are conscious that she's got a fake figure and the millennials and the Xers are conscious that we shouldn't be going in to make Donald's because the food's just not quite what it should be. Is it the millennials and the Xers that are changing the fortunes of decisions tied towards Mattel? I think it's that, you know, the, a lot of the millennials, you know, the people growing up and the parents now are, are, are those who grew up on, on like Disney and Nickelodeon and all of those products okay. are, are within Hasbro. And so Barbie really isn't, you don't see it on the screen. You don't see it on the computer. It's not something that's really relevant outside of just, you know, seeing it in a store. So um, what Mattel does is tr- they try to, pr- they invest so much in marketing and promotions. But what I always say is that that works for toilet paper or uh, toothpaste. But when you're selling toys to kids, um, you know, if the, if the kids Kids don't want it. They, the, the parents aren't going to buy it. It's you, the, there's, there has to be a real pull for the product, and I don't think Mattel can really push it through. Gotcha. Does Mattel have a future, or is it going to be a, a downsized future? Do you think? It has to be downsized. I mean, they, they actually have. To, I think they're going to they're have to cut their dividend. They're, they're in trouble. I mean, they're they're not. They have bad relationships with the inventors. I was talking with some of them, and those are the ones that uh, actually really create like 90% of the ideas and the products. And so they're they're so bureaucratic. It takes like eight different channels to make a decision, and by the time they make the decision, it's too late. So I mean, I I think that unless they completely change their strategy, they they fire their CEO. Hopefully, the the new one that they pick will be better. Um, they're they're really in the dog. And, and I don't really see how they can come out of it. I'm speaking with Jack Moore from TheStreet.com. He works closely with Jim Cramer putting together the portfolio of the Charitable Trust. Very insightful man. Any other nuggets you want to drop on us? We've got about a minute left. Um, I, I, well, I'll say this. Our biggest position now is Target, and we love that one. Uh, that's a domestic retailer. It's turning around. The new CEO closed the Canadian operations, and I think that um, it, it, it's going to have this analyst day on March 3rd that we're really excited about. And I, and I really think it's going to be lapping the disappointments from the credit card breach and, and emerge as a new company, and, and it's, uh, it's embracing the omni-channel. And, and I think it's a very interesting uh, investment. I've always gone into Target happier than I've gone into Walmart, so I'm with you on that. And I hear they're managing the port strike pretty well by building inventories, whereas some other retailers are going to be a little bit lean because of what's happening on the West Coast. 
Yes, yes, that's a great point. Yep, and 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 that's where they they also have an operational proficiency that I don't think a lot of the other retailers have. Thanks for joining me. It's good. Hope to talk to you soon. It's Jack Moore from TheStreet.com. He, uh, he talked a little Walmart, brought up the Apple Car, Mattel, Hasbro. That's pretty important stuff. What he said about Mattel being a little bit too bureaucratic. Uh, that is the start of a downfall of a company when you get to the point where you can't get stuff done and it's problematic and you know they've had the wrong product compared to Hasbro and it's a product driven game I feel bad for almost both of them on some levels because toy figurines aren't going to go away and toys aren't going to go away but I tell you a lot of kids you see 4 year olds, 5 year olds with iPhones in their hands at this point in time and they can handle them better than mom and dad can Anyway, you can find me at robblack.com. You can find Jack Moore at thestreet.com. And uh, you can find me at robblack.com. Big webinar coming up uh, shortly on income and retirement. Uh, it will fill up, so if you want to sign up for it, sign up at robblack.com. It's robblack.com. Do what they told you. Now you 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 do what they told you. I'm Rob Black. You can find me online at robblack.com. Joining me now, CFP Chad Burton, newfocusfinancial.com. Chad, how are you? Great. How are you? Good. Thanks for chiming in with such a punchy response. Um, <laughs> Too much coffee today. <laughs> now, as a CFP, you're a certified financial planner. You're helping people with their financial plan. You're basically involved probably at age 45 and over as people start planning out age 60 to 100. Um, i.e. retirement, and I would say wealth management, uh, because hopefully you've accumulated enough wealth so that you can retire with um, some class, with some style, and not live in a trailer park and eating beanie weenies. So what are some of the assumptions that you see people make that are dangerous in retirement? Let's go through a couple. Yeah, yeah let's do it. I mean, the the big one, and, and I feel like I, you know, on, on the air with you that I, I talk about this stuff almost too much, but... And I realize that people don't read you do. You do, but it's good. Publications as you and I, right? So, so yeah, you're hitting on these on a regular basis, but repetition is a good thing. Yeah, yeah. And the big one is age 65. Your medical insurance is covered by Medicare. A lot of people think that they coast into retirement. Um, They no longer have Medicare costs or medical costs. They get Medicare, and they realize that Part B gets pulled out of your Social Security check. Um, or you're paying for a direct if you're putting off Social Security until 70, which is a pretty good idea for a lot of people. And then you need a pool of money of between 200 to 250,000 to pay for all of the ancillary medical costs, co-pays, prescription drugs, things like that, that that happen over your lifetime. And a lot of people forget to project these issues into their financial plan. 
to give you an example, a client called yesterday and said, hey, we just wanted you to know I'm going to have to get hearing aids. It's 6000 bucks now. It's going to be about 6000 bucks every five years for hearing aids. And Ouch, probably huh? even more than that because he'll lose them. Yeah, exactly. I think there's some insurance that you can get on top of that, so maybe that's another monthly fee on, on that. Here's a big one, though, that baby boomers are assuming, and this kind of goes into waves of people that, that come in. We, you know, we, we have all these Depression-era people that live through really tough times, and they're multimillionaires living on their Social Security. So some of the baby boomers are saying, oh, I'm going to be okay because I'm going to inherit this money from mom or dad. And we rarely try to actually put that in a financial plan. If it comes, then maybe retire earlier. But, again, it points to the first one I mentioned. Your parents could end up in a care facility at seventy dollars to $100,000 a year. Um, and if they're healthy physically but not mentally in terms of Alzheimer's or dementia, you're talking about many years of draining that portfolio with extra costs. So don't ever retire saying, oh, you know what, I'm going to get an inheritance five, ten years down the road, I'll be fine. That is a really, really bad assumption. Okay. Now, how about the assumption that I can live off my interest in dividends? Because if you build a big enough portfolio, you have enough stocks and bonds that are dividend yielders, maybe you can pull it off. Um, Why is that considered a mistake or an assumption? Well, it, it, you know, again, if you've saved a lot of money, then that that's a great position to be, knowing that, you know, hey, I bought a bunch of dividend achiever stocks that increased your dividends over time, and I don't even need to draw on the portfolio. That's great. You've accumulated a lot of wealth. That's not most of America. And even those that assume they can do that at 65 with inflation, they tend to find themselves in a different position 10 years down the road, 15 years down the road with inflation. You know, cuts the value of the dollar in half every 18 years at normal rates. So um, you still have to do some good projections that include inflation and say, okay, maybe I don't need, maybe I'm okay income-wise now, but maybe I, I need to realize that in 15 years I'm going to need to start drawing principal. So what do I need to do to, to shelter that and, and realize that issue down the road? Another mistake that people might make is um, trying to fight inflation. That's obviously the boogeyman of retirement. Inflation, things cost more, so it eats away at your your, your principal. It eats away at your equity. Um, Gold is a hedge against inflation, we've always known, but is it really? Yeah, I don't know. It doesn't seem to work all that great. It seems to be a trading vehicle these days with all the inventions of ETFs and and different funds that own it. It seems to be more of an inverse, you'd think, versus the U.S. dollar, but now it's really kind of an inverse versus the Japanese yen. It's it's too hard. You know, a lot of the physical, if you're wealthy and you're buying physical gold because of emergencies, because of a diversifier, that's fine. But most of the time, the better way to fight inflation when it starts to rear its head is tips, treasury inflation-protected bonds, tips funds, and things like that. You get some income and you get an increase in value if inflation comes into play. Most people end up, you know, buying gold inside their IRA through different companies that could have huge markups, and they end up disappointed. So I haven't seen that one work very well, Rob. Any other ones that you want to hit quickly as we're running out of time? Yeah, a couple of them. If you haven't saved enough, you can just invest more aggressively. Most people can't stomach that, and they'll end up doing that and then selling at the worst time. Uh, one big one that we talk about, and I have personal experience with my father moving out of the U.S. to save 
money in retirement. That's not exactly why he did it. But some of these main places like Ecuador and Malaysia, they're, they're getting a huge inflow of uh, expatriates, and costs are starting to increase quite a bit. Um, okay. So be careful with that. Now, the final one, spending in retirement will decline. That's not necessarily always true, sometimes, but latter years more likely than the earlier years. Is that right? Yeah, you nailed it. I mean, it's in your 80s. It starts to decline. You might not travel as much, eat out as much, but the first five years in retirement, people tend to spend more than when they were working because of all the you know fun stuff that they didn't have time to do, and, and now they're doing it, or the big home remodel, the RV, the, the trip around the world, okay. the family trip, whatever it may be. Thanks very much. That's CFP Chad Burton. You can find him at newfocusfinancial.com. That's newfocusfinancial.com. On top of that, doing a webinar, the 10 Pillars of Retirement Income Planning Seminar coming up, uh, Building a Retirement Portfolio That Last webinar. You can sign up for that at newfocusfinancial.com. That's newfocusfinancial.com. Views and opinions expressed by Rob Black and his guests are not necessarily those of the Wall Street Business Network, this station, its management, owners, or advertisers, and should not be construed as legal, tax, or investment advice. Always consult with the appropriate advisor before making any investment or financial planning decision. Insightful. Informative. Irreverent. We're ready. The Wall Street Business Network presents Rob Black and Your Money, your source for breaking news, market updates, and successful investment strategies for the 21st century. Sounds like a great program. Getting you to retirement in today's market. So let's get on with the show. Taxes, family finances, insurance, the economy, technology, media, and entertainment. Rob is talking about it with you at 800 516 1220. So call in, we'll chat and uh, have some fun. Now, to start your day with the latest news and market commentary, here's Rob Black on the Wall Street Business Network. Welcome in, Rob Black. Talking money, investing, finances, wealth, preservation, retirement, planning, much, much more. The Oscar swag bags. $167,000 hitting a, a record just for showing up. Just for showing up, you get a $167,000 swag bag. What's in the bag this year? Laser vibrator, an orgasm booster, pricey condoms. Whoa, racy, huh? But also a holiday in Tuscany, a Chi-Chi car rental, a whiz-bang bicycle, and much, much more. Applications for U.S. unemployment aid plummeted to $283,000. That is looking good for a strong, a strong job gains report for February. That's positive. Walmart's going to give half a million employees pay raises. The move ensures hourly associates earn at least a buck seventy-five above today's federal minimum wage. The CEO is trying to correct some of the evils of the past, and people will reward them for it. Both employees will go out and spend and be happier in the economy, but also people who are socially conscious will say, I can go in there and support them. They're doing better by their employees. Oil falls sharply as U.S. crude inventories rose. Oil's prices tumbled after a big weekly building crude supplies, inventories, um, and a rise, possible rise in Saudi output, stoking worries of oversupply. Germany has rejected a Greek request for a bailout extension, and that story rolls on. McDonald's bringing back chicken tenders, or bringing back tender selects to boost its chicken industry, to boost the whole chicken industry. That's how big McDonald's is as a producer of food. Let's bring in CFP Chad Burton. 
Joining me now, CFP Chad Burton. You can find him at newfocusfinancial.com. He manages wealth for clients, newfocusfinancial.com. Let's talk a little bit of mutual funds. And maybe let's take the angle of the introductory to a mutual fund. What do we need to know? Well, I think it's a matter of comparing apples and apples. Okay. Um, you know, with the whole idea of index investing and job ogle from Vanguard, um, people got almost too fee sensitive. I mean, it's very important to look at fees when it comes to mutual funds, but people look at a large cap fund and see, or an ETF, which now has four basis points. So four tenths of 1%, you can invest in the entire market through things like iShares. Um, And so then they look at an international fund and see fees of around 1% or more. And they think, oh, I'm not going to touch that international fund. The issue is, is that yeah, that international funds are already just going to have higher fees because you you want boots on the ground in those countries that they're investing in. You want to have the analysts know the companies, visit the management, things like that. So there's already more cost. So fees, when you look at the returns, especially if you're using Morningstar.com as a tool, the returns are net of fees. So you have to realize that. Sometimes you get what you pay for when it comes to fees. So what I like to concentrate on, what I always talk about, is when I'm investing in a broad stroke of large cap U.S. stocks, and large cap or in mid cap U.S. stocks, that's where I really, really like to use index funds or ETFs, right? Um, or if I'm in a positive market for bonds where interest rates are steady and or coming down and all bonds look fairly attractive, index funds or ETFs are a good way to go there. When it comes to small cap international emerging markets or any alternative investments, you can, if you do the homework, find the funds that outperform the indexes. And what I mean by that is if you look at a, an index that's in, you know, China, for example, a lot of times you'll look at that index and say, really, I don't want to own all of those companies that are in that index. I want a manager to be much more specific. So that's why I think managed funds and small cap international emerging markets make more sense than index funds. Can I slow you down a bit? Sure. What does return net of fees mean? Well, so when you're seeing a return, um, you know, Let's say you look at a, a international index fund, like the MSCI index, and the return is 16%, but you see a managed mutual fund where the return for 2012 was 15 or 16% or 17, 18%. It, it, those returns are showing you net of the fees. It's your real return. Okay. Um, so it has the fees built in. The them. fees are built into the return, and but people still, they look at the return and then they see the fees... Even though the return is lower, they say, oh, the fee's much lower, so I'm going to buy that fund. That's not necessarily the right thing to do. Bad way to shop. Yeah. No. Uh, shopping on price tag alone, sometimes you get lower quality. No, shopping on the way the, the real way to shop for managed mutual funds, too, is is you look at you know three, five, and 10-year average returns, yep. and then you look at consistency. You look at items like know what standard deviation means. If a fund has this, two funds have the same uh, longer-term returns... Look at the standard deviation. The one with the lower standard deviation has more consistency, less volatility. Um, and then look at how long the manager's been there. Make sure the manager or the management team has been in place for the length of the track record. Um, because too many funds change when they get a new person at the helm. And it's interesting for me to look at 10-year returns in large part because you're just, you, you fired through that. You're like, one, three, five, 10 years. To me, 10 years means how did it do after 9-11? How did it do with Bush's president? How did it do with Obama's president? How did it do with uh, the 2008 market correction? How did it do with their recovery? Did it, out, did it outperform in good times? Did it underperform in bad times? Like, I need to know this stuff, or at least I need to think about it so I know I'm educated going into a, a purchase. 
Yeah, and you need to see what happened. Did they make big bets to get the returns? In other words, you want to look at the funds and, and realize what their you know annual holdings tend to be. They report to you on a quarterly basis, and if you start seeing too much weight in a certain sector where they're trying to make big bets to make up for mediocre returns, that's when you get a little bit wary of the fund and say, okay, well, they're, they're just trying to catch up and they're taking on too much risk. What do we need to know about alpha and beta of mutual funds? Well, beta is how, how much risk, well, how much movement you're going to have versus whatever index it's following. So if you have a large cap fund and it has a beta of one, if the market moves up 5%, your fund's probably going to move up 5%. If it moves down 10%, your fund's probably going to move down 10%. Beta of less than one means it, it moves a little bit less. So as the closer you get to retirement, the more you want to pay attention to the beta because you want exposure in those areas, but you want lower beta, lower volatility because you're drawing on your portfolio. Typically, uh, dividend-paying stocks that increase their dividends have a little bit lower beta in the long run, and that's why you focus more on that towards retirement. Alpha is a measurement of are you being compensated for the ex- extra risk that you're taking. So when you can run a portfolio through, say, Morningstar, and you're overweighting in small cap, mid cap, emerging markets and taking on more risk, are you truly being compensated for that risk? And that's important, the the more money that you have. That's CFP Chad Burton. You can find him online at newfocusfinancial.com. He manages wealthy clients. You can learn more information about him at newfocusfinancial.com. And I'm Rob Black, talking all things financial. Big webinar coming up right around the corner. You can find out more about the webinar by going to newfocusfinancial.com, newfocusfinancial.com. It's going to be a Thursday, one week from today. And webinars are kind of nice because, first and foremost, you can sit in the comfort of your own home while learning how to build a retirement portfolio, types of bonds to use, bond alternatives to consider, Um, tax traps that are out there, social security tips, proper asset allocation, rebalancing portfolios. Uh, You can sign up for the event next Thursday at 6.30 to 8 at robblack.com. That's robblack.com. And anything you want to talk about, we can talk about. Uh, Drop me an email, rob at robblackshow.com. It's rob at robblackshow.com. You know, the Walmart thing, they have a lot of employees. Like That's something that I don't want you to miss. And for people who are working, let's say, 30 hours a week to give them another buck and a quarter, buck 50, buck 75. Uh, it adds up. 500,000 people getting an extra 30 bucks a week, 40 bucks a week. It'll be used, it'll be spent. So you can see some stimulus coming right there. Uh, and with that said, you can also see some earnings sapping coming out of Wall Street. Sign up for the event at robblack.com. It's robblack.com.
I'm Rob Black, talking all things financial, money investing, and more. Sometime next week, I'm going to do a big show tied towards mobile media. I'm putting together some concepts on it now. Um, Americans spend about 28 hours watching TV per week. That's a lot of TV, right? We're on the high side. In the world, there's about 3 billion people online out of a population of a little over 7 billion. So we're about half-penetrated Internet population versus global population. Attention is starting to shift digital more and more so, especially in media consumption. And, you know, this is a trend. You know, attention in television has been declining for six years in a row. Attention in mobile has been climbing six years in a row. Attention to print media, down six years in a row. Attention to radio, down six years in a row. The shift is pretty generational, as you could well guess. You know, age 75 plus, they watch a lot of TV. My mom's one of those people who's kind of a shut-in. But age 16 to 24, not very much. They're using their smartphone or they're on a computer, laptop, netbook, much, much more so than they're watching television or listening to the radio. And same thing could be said for age 25 to 34. Now, again, 16 to 24, in the next 10 years, they're going to be the 25 to 34. And that's the important demographic for advertising revenue dollars. Right now, smartphone sales are still booming. Whether, you know, some are being left to die, like BlackBerry and Motorola struggling, Nokia, Sony. But Apple's still doing pretty well. Tablet and PC growth has slowed. Um... And I don't think that's a surprise to anyone at that point. Phablets are replacing small smartphones. And the phablets have pretty good operating margins. Half of TVs in the United States are now connected. Uh, If you have a Roku or an Apple TV or a Chromecast, or if you have a Samsung smart television, you can now get content into your TV from the Internet. Wearables are a little overhyped. And we'll see in the coming weeks if that's a true statement or not, with Apple. When they release the watch, will it be something we want? Will it be something that we're really not all that interested in? Cars are increasingly connected and smarter, and that will continue so to the point that there are now rumors that Apple's going to get into the car-making business, which has a very long life cycle. Um, And it's going to face pretty stiff opposition from people 35 and older. Just like the seatbelt was introduced in the 70s, you had to legally wear a seatbelt. You know, when you watch old episodes of Mad Men and Don Draper's in the front seat with a drink in his hand and no seatbelt on, you're like, whoa. That's my generation goes, whoa, that's awesome. Um, But the kids today, they've all been wearing seatbelts their whole life, and they're ready for it. So cars are increasingly connected and smarter, and, you know, again... It will be fought by people 35 and older. It will be accepted by people 30 and younger. With self-driving cars, we're going to live in a, not a utopia, but certainly a lot more teenagers won't die in car accidents. Um, And we'll get to the point that the sensors in the cars and the insurance companies will insist on this. 
you know, uh, in some states right now, insurance companies will give your teenagers a discount if they can track the car with GPS to see if he's ever speeding or not. There's an Internet of Things coming. It's expected to be 20 billion connected devices by 2020. That could be your fire alarm. That could be your refrigerator. It could be Amazon's got something now that you could put in your kitchen and say, hey, Amazon, what's the weather like? And because it's plugged in and wireless, it'll start talking to you and telling you what's happening. I could see Apple developing something very similar to that very quickly overnight. Uh, developed mobile markets are nearing maturity as far as smartphone penetration. The nice thing for smartphone companies like Apple uh, is that even though we're fully penetrated or close to fully penetrated, and that sounds so dirty, but it's not, um, it gives the phones break. So there's a rumor a couple of years ago that Apple is going to start using Gorilla Glass in their phones. It's much tougher and much tougher to break. And then Sapphire Glass. And I just don't see it happening, you know, because if it's tougher to break, then the replacement cycle may, eh, but you'll still drop the phone and the chips will come loose. And you see how that's all about. There is growth in smartphone sales in China, India, and emerging markets. So there's still other areas to dominate. Um, certainly, um, upgrade cycles as well. So, in China's market is three times, two and a half times bigger than the U.S. market for smartphones. Just so you know, China's already twice the size of the U.S. market currently and growing. Chinese companies sell 25% of smartphones worldwide, uh, from whether it's Xiaomi, Huawei, Lenovo, uh, ZT, CoolPad. You know, with recent NSA hacking issues, um, I would never, ever, ever buy a computer made in China like a Lenovo. Uh, I'm just fearful of government swatching and stealing and things along those lines. It's crazy, right? It's in my head. Prices for smartphones are falling fast. That's bad news for Apple, unless they can continue to keep that luxury status that they have. Global tablet growth has hit a wall. So this is all the story about mobile and what's happening. iPads experiencing negative growth. That's not good. But can they reinvent themselves with the business market and or not? The iPad and negative growth is is interesting to watch. Um, Ad spending is moving to digital and mobile. Um, Print ads have fallen off a cliff newspaper ad revenue. Print versus online, uh, it's just a skosh. Google's bigger than all newspapers and magazines at this point in time. Google uh, is bigger than all newspapers and magazines as far as ad revenue goes. Last year, they, they, they hit that number. This year, they're increasing on that number as far as um, the values of the revenue you know, continuing to flow to Google. Google dwarfs big media. Google's bigger than Time Warner, Facebook, CBS combined. Google's almost half the size of all global TV advertising. Isn't that crazy? 174 billion per year versus 70. Uh, Google's at 70 billion a year. All global TV ad revenue at 174 billion. Primetime household TV ratings are declining. Facebook is hitting more young people than free TV. So Facebook has about 63% penetration, 
whereas TV is only 58% penetration. And they're the future spenders, and Wall Street works on the future. I'm Rob Black. Find me at robblack.com. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.